Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, we'll have it on our Sky Bible up here on the TVs, our Sky Bible. Heard about a mother who was working in the kitchen, and she was putting together a big spread when her little boy started running around the house, running frantically and not being very concerned about the objects around the house. And she told him, you better knock it off, stop Stop running, you're going to knock something over. And sure enough, a few minutes later, he knocked over the container that she was cooking everything in in the kitchen. And she grabbed a fly swatter and just started running after that boy. Do you remember those days when fly swatters were, that was part of the deal. And she grabbed one of those fly swatters and he took off running. She took off running and she's trying to catch him. And eventually he ran out the back door and went under the crawl space of the house. And she was about to crawl under there when she thought, whoa, I'm a little too dignified for this. I'm not going to crawl underneath our house. I'm going to wait for my husband to get home, wait for dad to get home. And sure enough, a few minutes later, as the boy was still underneath the house, uh, her husband came home and she told him what had been going on. And so he got down on his knees and he started to crawl underneath that crawl space. He saw his boy's, uh, his boy's eyes in the back corner of the crawl space. And when he started crawling back there, the boy saw his dad coming and he said to him, Dad, is she after you too? You know. <laughs> we sometimes mistake God's motive. We think he's after us when he's really for us, isn't he? We think he's looking to find something wrong when actually he sees all of the right. We think he's just walking around looking for a reason to punish us when actually he's looking for a reason to reward us. We get his motives wrong sometimes. We're going to open up a passage today in Mark chapter 6 that I believe is going to feed our soul. It is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels outside the resurrection It's the only miracle recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The birth of Jesus is not recorded in all four Gospels. This one is. Out of all the miracles Jesus performed, there's one that made the cut in all four. I'm going to begin reading with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat... He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Which, by the way, that right there is a sermon, that one line, four-point sermon. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, get some rest. You know God wants your soul to rest. In all the busyness that we call life, he wants our soul to rest. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside in villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give, them, and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Green grass. It's the opposite of my yard right now. Brown grass. All right. So they sat down in the groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided, uh, he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and Landry's seafood. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. The disciples got a front row seat to God's supernatural provision. And they give us a sneak peek into their front row seat. Have you ever danced with a stranger? Anybody ever danced with a stranger? Yeah? I did it a few weeks ago. I danced with a stranger. Let me tell you how it happened. I was... uh, going home, and I was going to go, uh, go by the grocery store, so I called my wife. Is there anything that you need at the grocery store? Because I am always serving my wife and helping my wife, and that is how you build a marriage. And so I was asking her, what can I get to you at the grocery store? Actually, I was getting deodorant because I ran out of deodorant, but it was a good thought. I was at the grocery store and asked her, is there anything you need? And as I was walking out of the grocery store, I was talking on the phone. Now, you know, I, is it illegal in Texas to drive and talk on your phone, or is it just texting? Is it illegal to drive and talk? We don't know. That's because we're all doing it. (laughs) All of you are doing it. I've seen you driving down. Everybody's talking on their phone. Um, But I was talking and walking. I think they're going to illegalize talking and walking soon because I wasn't doing it very well. But as I was exiting the grocery store and as, as I was exiting the exit that said exit, some young man was walking into the, the, the exit side, which is a whole nother deal that frustrates me. You know there's an entrance and an exit, right? Do you guys know that? <clears throat> anyway, this is a counseling session for me, really. As I was walking out and I'm on my phone, this young man's coming right at me and we almost kissed. That's how I went. I basically danced with a stranger because after we just looked at each other for a second, I'm still on my phone. I took a step this way, and he stepped that way. Then I stepped this way, and he stepped that way, and I just put my phone down and said, which way are you going to (laughs) go? And I think God sometimes asks us, which way are you going to go? Our life is built on the answer to that question, which way are you going to go? And there's really only two answers. Every day that we wake up, we answer the question, which way are you going to go? You're going to be an encourager today or a discourager to the people around you? You're going to wake up and be selfish or are you going to be selfless? You're going to feed people or are you going to take from people? Are you going to be optimistic or are you going to have a pessimistic attitude? You're going to root for the Houston Texans or the Dallas Cowboys? See, there's really only two ways that you can go. Not the Philadelphia Eagles, Bob. They're not even an option in the South. But that's the story of our life. Which way are you going to go? And at the end of the day, there's only two options. It's Jesus or it's not Jesus. I know there's the thought that there's 100, there's 200, there's 300 different options out there. Just so you know, when it all comes down to it, when life on earth is done and we're standing before the Father in heaven, we're going to find out there were two options. You're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. Which way are you going to go? Jesus put it this way, there's a broad road and there's a narrow road. There's a wide gate and there's a narrow gate. The the narrow road leads to life. The broad road leads to destruction. Which way are you going to go? And it's a daily choice. Look at verse 36 of our passage. Jesus gave this option to Philip and Andrew. 
send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. That's what the disciples were telling Jesus. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And John's account tells us that was actually Philip who he was talking about, John chapter 6, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to do what? Test him. He already knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew he was just testing Philip. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go to the grocery store to get your food, or are you going to get filled up by Jesus? Which way are you going to go, Philip? Where are you going to find your provision? Now, you can almost sense Philip saying, oh, no, is this another lesson? I thought we were just trying to have dinner here. Why does there always have to be a lesson to this? The reason is because small things matter to God too, not just the big things. Small decisions matter just like the big decisions matter. We think our life is built by just a few big decisions. Which college am I going to go to? That's going to be a make or break. Actually, our life is built on and built upon the foundation of a hundred small choices every day that we make. If you are faithful in the small, he can trust you with the big. This is just a meal. Are you going to make a lesson out of a meal? The only miracle to be found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was a small thing. Phil, are you going to make a lesson out of a meal? It's a big thing. Because all those small decisions that we make is actually what builds up our life. Each and every day, we make the choice. Tomorrow, you will make the choice. Tuesday, you will make the choice. Wednesday, you will make the choice. Follow Jesus or follow the broad road. You know what I like about Jesus? He doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't threaten us to follow him. He doesn't stand at the door and bang on it. He doesn't stand at the door and knock it down. He doesn't stand at the door and kick it down. He stands at the door and knocks. And if you will have him, you just have to open the door. He doesn't force it. You know, it's, he doesn't force the love relationship. I, I heard about a couple who was getting ready to celebrate their golden wedding anniversary, 50 years married. They were the talk of the small town. Everybody talked about their loving and peaceful relationship. They never got in a fight. And the local newspaper interviewed the man has said, how is it? You, you two always seem so peaceful together. You're never in fights. You're always so loving. Can you tell me the secret to your amazing relationship? And he said, actually, it goes all the way back to our honeymoon. We visited the Grand Canyon for our honeymoon, and we were riding on, on mules, and my wife's mule tripped on a rock. And she looked at the mule and said, that's once. And then a few minutes later, I didn't think anything of it, but the mule tripped on a rock again, and she looked at the mule and said, that's twice. And I didn't think anything of that either, but soon the mule tripped on a third rock, and she, my wife got off the mule, pulled out a gun, and shot the mule in the head. I got down with the mule to see if it was okay. It wasn't. I looked at her and said, what are you thinking? Why did you shoot the mule? And she looked at me and said, that's once. God doesn't force us, <laughs> some of you, oh, to be in a relationship with him. It's not a, uh, you know, the wife says to the husband after 37 years of marriage, why don't you tell me you love me more? Well, I told you on our wedding day, if it ever changes, I'll let you know. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not one of those things. Marriage isn't about the wedding. The wedding is about loving each other each and every day. Loving Jesus is a daily decision. You remember that verse that we like to paste on our walls and our houses? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
You know what that starts with? Joshua 24, 15. It says, choose for yourselves this day. Because tomorrow you're going to have to pick again. And the next day you're going to have to choose again. Choosing Jesus one day doesn't mean you're going to choose him the next day. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's why Paul didn't say to Timothy, I have started the race. He said, I have finished the race. He didn't say, I once had faith. He said, I have kept the faith. It was a daily decision to follow him. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Next verse, 38 and 39. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, which is funny to me because I don't see how that possibly could have happened. You have thousands of people here, and Jesus tells the disciples, go make them sit down. Now, have you ever been around a hangry person? Are you listening? Hangry? Some people, when they get hungry, they get hangry. They all of a sudden, their mood changes, their behavior changes. Some of you are looking at each other like, I know a hangry person in my house, and it's you. But imagine thousands of hangry people and the disciples, and, and the miracle hadn't happened yet. There's not basketfuls of fish yet. There's, only, there's still five barley loaves. There's two fish, probably Long John Silver-sized fish, not very big. This is a Lunchable. This is a Lunchable. And that's just it's a great gift to the bold household, the Lunchables, let me tell you. Guys, go tell them to sit down. And there had to be a few guys out there like me who's a little bit rebellious, who's not just going to take an order for no reason. You going to tell me to sit down? I'm hungry, buddy. How about you give me a double Whopper with some cheese, and then I'll sit down. I ain't sitting down. You little, By the way, most of the disciples were probably teenagers, most scholars say. Some teenage boy going to come up to me and make me sit down? How about you produce some bread? And the disciples are probably like, I don't really know where the food's going to come from. Jesus, how about you pump out a few first before we tell them to sit down? I'd like sourdough, by the way. But, you know, pump out a few. But Jesus says, you sit down first, and then I'll give you the bread. And by the way, there's going to be times in our life where God says, you sit down, you be quiet, you trust me, and then I'll give you the provision. You sit down first, and then I'll give you the bread. By the way, this, this goes for every area of our life. So many times, and, and I've, I've seen this in my ministry, where I'm trying to go after something, and I'm trying to do everything I have, and, and, and the last thing I actually tried was just sitting down and trusting God to provide. Sometimes God says, how about you sit down and let me perform the miracle? Look at verse 40. So they sat down, and I, that's amazing. I think probably because Peter got in there, and you know Peter wouldn't back down from a fight. You sit down and shut up. That's probably what Peter said. It's not in the verse, but I, I think it's in there, just knowing Peter. In groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples. Now watch this. He gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. He gave them to who? To the disciples. Wow. Why? If you can create the world, which Jesus was a part of, Genesis 1-1, 1 
If you can be a part of creation, if you can create all this food for thousands of people, if you can walk on water, if you can stop a storm, if you can create wine out of water, if you can hang on a cross and still come back to life after three days dead, I don't think you need the disciples to pass out the food. Here's a little secret to the church. This is a sneak preview for Christianity. Yeah, Jesus could have distributed it himself. It could have just popped into their baskets in the moment. But he asked the disciples to become the distributors of the great message of Jesus Christ. He asked them to hand out the food. He asks us to be a part of the distribution assembly line. He asks us to be a part of sharing the great message of salvation and forgiveness and compassion and healing and grace and love. Are you in on that? Are you a part of the distribution line of the church? Are you serving the Lord with your hands? We are called to play a role in the distribution process of God's blessings. Interestingly, Jesus prays for the food. He gives it to the disciples, and the disciples start to hand it out, but they never run out. I handed it out, but it's not running out. I handed it out, but it's not running out. I handed it out, but it's not running out. The miracle is happening in their hands. And so many people want to be a part of a miracle. The greatest way to be a part of a miracle is to put yourself in the distribution line of God's work, and you will start to see miracles happen in your hands. I never thought that neighbor would come to Christ, but now he's given his life over to Jesus Christ. I never thought that person would ever consider God in their life, but now they're considering God in their life. And people, Well, where's the miracles? Let me just tell you where the greatest miracle of all is. You'll never see a greater miracle than when somebody goes from darkness to light, from lost to saved. And everybody that's a part of the church, everybody who puts their hands on in the distribution line is part of that miracle. They would not run out. The miracle was happening right in their hands. They kept handing it out, but they wouldn't run out. You know what the joy of a preacher is? The greatest joy for me is not to see people sitting in a seat, though this is fun and I like this. The greatest joy of a preacher is when all of us get together and put our hands in on the distribution of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I see you, when I see me, when I see my wife, when I see my kids handing out bulletins at the front of the church building, there is no greater joy than to see us all get involved in the distribution of the good news. And by the way, this goes for our money as well. You'll never hear me talk about tithing. I don't even know if you've heard me say the word tithing yet because the word tithing means a percentage. It's an Old Testament word that you never find in the New Testament. You find it once in Matthew 23 in a unique situation. But only one time in the entire New Testament does Jesus talk about tithing. You know why? Because tithing means a percentage. And when you're in a love relationship, it's not about percentages. It's about giving your all. And so my wife and I never walk around and say, well, 81% is yours and 19% is mine, which is, by the way, about the percentages of it is. But we've never figured it out exactly, and we've never talked about the exact percentages, 81 hers, 19, because we're in a love relationship. Everything that is mine is hers, and everything that is hers is hers. That's how a marriage works. That's what a love relationship is. And so Jesus goes away from the percentage talk in the New Testament, he goes into a living sacrifice talk, give your all talk, that is your spiritual act of worship. 
get in on the distribution assembly line of Jesus. One of the advantages of starting a church from scratch, which is what we did, we had zero, a year ago, there were zero people to this church. I hadn't even convinced my wife to come to this church yet, but I'm kidding, I'm kidding. One of the advantages is we get to create the DNA of the church from the ground up. And one of the DNAs that we want to have is 100% participation in our church. Everybody has a place to serve. Everybody has an opportunity to play a hand. And so we do a thing called head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. Would you do that with me? Head, heart, hands. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Head, heart, hands. Be a leader, not a follower. Participate. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. And when we don't want the message to just get to your head. We want it to get to your heart. We don't want the message to just get to your heart. We want it to get to your hands. And so that's discipleship. That's what we believe the church of Jesus Christ is in what we do. One of the buzzwords of today is called discipleship. Uh, in ministry circles, guys come up, oh, okay, your, your church is growing, but are you discipling them? Your church is growing, but are you discipling them? You know what they usually mean? How deep of a Bible study are you in? That's what, somehow we've gotten this idea, deeper Bible study means discipling. Actually, scripturally, New Testament, getting your hands on your faith is what discipling is. Faith without action is dead. And then we go on to verse 42. The disciples were not starving, even though they passed out all this food. They all ate and were what, church? Everybody say it together. They all ate and were? Ah. And the disciples, man, I can't mow my yard without being hungry by the end. But they, they passed out food to thought. And the disciples picked up how many basketfuls? 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. That's ironic. Huh. 12 basketfuls. How much did they start with? Five pieces of bread and two pathetic-looking Long John Silver pieces of fish. And now they end, after passing it all out, with 12? And Jesus is over there smiling. <laughs> What shall we do with these 12? Wish it was 11, Judas. But how much, what are we going to do with this 12? Oh, how many of you are there? Oh, there's how many disciples? 12 disciples. There's 12 basketfuls. Each of the disciples who put their hands to the faith and were part of the distribution process had a basket with their name on it. They all left satisfied. You know when you're going to find your satisfaction in Jesus? You know when that's going to be? When you put yourself in on the distribution line of the church. That's when you will find yourself satisfied. There's a whole, man, there's a whole bunch of Christians who are not satisfied, and I hate that, because Christians ought to be the most joyous people in all the world. But there's a lot that aren't, and the reason they're not is because they've never gotten in on the distributing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, just so you know, our uh, church is looking for land, and I'm not, I hesitate to tell you that, to make you think that we're going to have land in the next six months. Uh, calm down. Maybe six years, we're not in even position, but I, I make phone calls. Doug makes phone calls. We make them about every week. Uh, 
we pass signs on the road. We make the phone call to the, to the real estate guy. How much is this land for sale? And I've had the real estate guys or, or, or the commercial uh, real estate agents give me the price. I remember the first time I made a phone call, I said, hey, how much is this parcel going for? And he said, he said $10 a square foot. never even heard a square foot. So I didn't make any reaction on the phone. I just, hey, just hold on for a second. I pulled out my calculator app, $10 a square foot per acre times 10 acres. Holy cow. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but my heart said, holy cow. That's $5.5 million. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. $10 a square foot. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Boom. And I'm making these phone calls and they're the first time. Okay. I was getting ready for the prices. And people have looked at us and they've said, hey, you're starting a church with nothing at the beginning in Houston, Texas. How much money did you start with? You guys are crazy. Yeah, we're crazy. You better believe we're crazy. But at some point, I and we have to come to the realization that God is enough. He has enough. And if there's a plot of land out there that God wants us to have, he has enough to make it happen. Amen? He has enough to make it happen. He is enough. If he can take five barley loaves and two fish, if he can take a Lunchable, which, by the way, I, I'm just envisioning Philip. Hey, uh, Philip, you go feed him. And Philip pulls out his laptop, and he starts pulling out the spreadsheet. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna take 200 denarii. That's half a year's wages, Jesus. And can you imagine Jesus as Philip is doing his spreadsheet stuff? Can you imagine Jesus who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Can you imagine Jesus watching him do the math and the calculator? Are you seeing if we have enough money? Are you really checking to see if I am enough? Philip's standing in front of the God of the universe doing the math, seeing if we have enough to feed the people. And, Je and Jesus just turns it down. Philip, we're not doing your idea. Andrew, we're going to kind of take yours. You said you saw a Lunchable somewhere. And Andrew's like, yes, he picked mine finally. And he walks over to the kid with the Lunchable. He says, hey, what's that over there? Grabs the Lunchable, runs over to Jesus. And we've never heard from that kid again, by the way. I still think he's in the Middle East looking for his lunch. But... That is how it works. Interestingly, did you notice it? Jesus prayed for the food and gave thanks to God before the miracle happened. Catch this. All the people sat down, and then Jesus picked up the five loaves and the two fish and said, thank you, Father, for what you have provided all of us with. And if I was in the crowd... Is he thanking God for that? He thinks he's going to feed us with... It's legal in Colorado now, so hey. What in the world does he think's going on here? How is he going to... But you know what? Jesus thanked God, and then God provided the miracle. Have you ever stopped and thought, maybe we should stop complaining and just thanking him for the miracle that he is going to perform in our life. He thanked him, and then God provided the miracle. Here's the three points. I originally wrote this this week, trying to preach through three points in the message. Here they are. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give them to you all right now. Which way are you gonna go? Step towards Jesus, serve with Jesus, you will be satisfied in Jesus. That's the passage. If you take a step toward Jesus, and you serve with Jesus, get a part of the distribution line, you will find yourself 
satisfied in Jesus. You want a formula for discipleship? You want a formula for spiritual growth? There it is right there. Take a step toward Jesus, get your hands on in the distribution line, and you will find yourself satisfied in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So if you're sitting back looking for a church that's going to feed you, if you're looking for a church that serves all of your needs, if you're looking for a church that's just the right church for me that keeps feeding me, just so you know, most people who take that approach leave empty. But if you're looking for a church where you can get your hands on your faith and you can be a part of the distribution line, ironically, the paradox of it all is you leave satisfied and full. Last verse, verse 44. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. How many people were there? That's just men. How many people do you think? Minimally 10,000. When you add wives and children, we could be talking 25,000 people. Jesus just had the greatest golden corral experience ever. 25,000 people and they all got seconds and thirds and fourths, and they had 12 basketfuls left over at the end. And do you know what that teaches me? Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Will you say that with me? Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. And if he can feed 25,000 people, he can take care of your need. If he can take care of 25,000 people's hunger, you know what that shows me? He didn't want anybody lost. He didn't want anybody missing out. He doesn't want anybody, no matter the color of their skin, the situation of their economic uh, crisis, no matter if they're rich, poor, or middle class, no matter which border of the side of the border that they live on, he doesn't want anybody missing out on the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Nobody has to miss out. You say, well, I need a lot of forgiveness. He, He has enough. Why? Well, I, I got to go a long ways to get to God. He is enough. I'm really messed up. Join the club. You're in the right church. Jesus is enough. I'll close with this story. The way I remember it, a preacher in northern Indiana told of a time when he remember standing at the front of the church building on a Sunday morning, a young couple, good-looking couple, walked on up. It was the first time they were there, and he thought to himself, wow. They seemed to have it together. Their kids were behaving. He thought, man, they'd make a great addition to our church. And sure enough, the next couple weeks, they gave their life to Christ. They started to get involved. They started to serve. After a couple years, they started teaching a Sunday school class, actually. The husband started teaching a Sunday school class. For years, they were kind of the, the model family of that church. And everything they did seemed to turn to gold. They were bringing people to the Lord. Their, their marriage, their family was just a picture-perfect situation. And then one day, that man who was teaching the sinful class walked into the preacher's office, handed him the Sunday school book, and said, I need a break. I'm done. Here's the book. And the preacher said, hey, you might want to reconsider this. Uh, usually, God doesn't ask you to step back. Usually, he asks you to step forward. And the man said, no, I'm done. I just need a break. Just tired. So he gave him the book. He, he quit teaching Sunday school. And as it usually happens, just so you know, it wasn't long before He was kind of, him and his family were kind of hit and miss at church even. And then they were once a month at church, and then they were Easter and Christmas, and then 
you almost never saw them at the church at all. That's usually how it works, by the way. It just starts gradually. And then after not seeing him at church for a couple years, he heard that the marriage uh, was in trouble. He heard through the grapevine. And then about a year after that, he's reading the local paper, and he sees that the man is being charged with murdering his wife. Shot her in the backseat of a car in a mall parking lot while she was with another man. And he thought, how'd that happen? How did they go from picture-perfect couple in the church serving, leading a Sunday school class, leading people to Christ, and all of a sudden he's murdering his wife? How did it get from there to here? And so he wrote him a letter in prison. Hey, just want to know what happened. And the guy in prison writes a letter back, and it's a long letter with a lot of details, but basically at the end of the letter he said this. He said, it all started the day I gave up teaching my Sunday school. It all started the day I got off the distribution line. And if I was to look back and I was to say, when did the trouble start? I can pinpoint it all the way back to when I took my hands off my faith. Just so you know, you want to find satisfaction in Jesus? It's not just stepping toward him. It's getting yourself involved in the distribution of the gospel of grace. Let's pray.